You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And it's Friday, and typically Fridays are devoted for Eric and I to kind of recap our entire coverage of the week leading up to the game, keys to the game, make some predictions of what we think happens throughout the game individually or collectively as a team. And then we finish it up with our score predictions. And uh, Eric, uh, it's going to be deemed a no contest because Oregon versus Washington, if you've been living under a rock last 24 hours, is officially off. Uh, Game has been postponed due to COVID-19. Washington could not field a full roster to play in this football game. The Pac-12 was elected to name it uh, a no contest. What does this mean? What's next? What What's the season now look like for Oregon? How do we view this season for the men's, uh, for the Oregon football team? And then on the show today, we're also going to dive into some previews for some men's and women's basketball games over the weekend. There is going to be an Oregon versus Washington sporting event this Saturday it's just not a doubleheader like we were hoping and, and praying it to be. Uh, the men go up to Seattle for a game against the Huskies in the first Pac-12 game for the year for the men. Uh, the women, they travel 45 minutes north of Eugene, and they take on the in-state rival Oregon State Beavers, and we're going to break it all down on the show as well. But first, I want to remind everyone out there today, you could subscribe for a. 60% off annual VIP membership to DuckTerritory.com. $42.96 is your one-time payment. So basically, $43 gets you signing day, which starts next week. You get the spring recruiting period. You get all of next football season. You get most of the recruiting season next year as well for the 2022 class. And you get basketball, men and women, you get the runs to March Madness for those. You get recruiting for both of those sports for the spring period, as well as next year's recruiting class. So take advantage of this. If this is for you, give yourself a Christmas gift. Uh, if it's a, a gift for a family member, do that as well. We can help with that as well. So highly encourage you guys to jump in on that. Um, let's get to the football game, Eric. Oregon, Washington, like I said at the top, is canceled, and I think – from both sides of this rivalry game, there's no way to put it other than just this really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm at a loss for words other than to say, like, this is what we were all fearing all season. These kind of outcomes could happen. To Oregon's credit, they got through their first five games unscathed, played all five of them, the biggest game of year. And, of course, you'd say every week become – game of the year, or certainly that's what some of the players would say but like from an outside you know from an, a perspective objective perspective like this is the biggest game of the year there was so much on the line here have this game to not be able to legitimately determine a pac-12 north champion with fear when we recorded the podcast on Thursday before we had well inkling but we weren't this official uh, that it stinks it really does and and you know or oregon season had an opportunity to shift here after losing to Oregon State, to losing to Cal. They had an opportunity to go out and beat Washington, 
to gain some momentum. They do that. They can still win the Pac-12 conference. Get to some of the possibilities, I don't think you can throw out the possibility of working or competing for a Pac-12 championship quite yet. But losing out opportunity, really, it just it's it's a real bummer. Um, this had an opportunity to Oregon control the destiny, and you can argue, and I've seen this, and it's a good, it's a valid point. They beat Oregon State. If they beat Cal, they win one of those two. We're not having this discussion. They packed up North. We everybody feels confident in that. Yet they lose both those games, and now up for debate. And you can't this game means a little bit more. Or it's not like Oregon's at fault for kind of the mission, but. It just stinks. You don't get to determine the entirely on the field, and that's going to be a deal where, depending upon what the next couple of days hold and what the look like for next week's cross games, and we'll talk again about. This, I think some fans are maybe conf- confused about w- what's the schedule for Oregon. Regardless of those games, the matchup between Oregon and Washington is always one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game schedule, and. If there was one game this season that you would hate to have had removed, was this game for a lot of reasons, but especially because of how things played out the first five weeks. This really was a de facto Pac-12 North championship game, and to not have it played, it's just a bummer. It really, um, and and now you know again, this season is always going to be you know I think it's going to be my big memories from this 2020 football season is just the fact that it didn't get played. And I think that in of itself is. Yeah. It's a deal where I look at this and I'm like, man, the biggest game of the year didn't get played. And you look at, you look at it and not only did the biggest game of the year not get played, the, the game with the most impact didn't get played for both Oregon and Washington. And and so I guess now it's what, what does this mean? What are the ramifications of Oregon and Washington not playing? Well, for one, it's rule and no contest. And if the PAC 12 gets enough games in the Washington Huskies will be deemed the PAC 12 North division champions because they have one loss. Oregon has two losses. uh, Even though that, Washington will have played two fewer games. Washington will have not played a game away from Husky Stadium all year. They played four games this year, uh, and they went three and one, and they played all four games up in Seattle. Um, the Ducks, they will go three and two. They won their three games. Uh, they won three games, two of which were at home, one of which was on the road. They lost two other road games to Cal and to Oregon State. And so, you know, the first thing is, is well, hey, Oregon didn't control the things that they could control and that was winning their games they lost two you have to be penalized for that but at the flip side they play two there's two more opportunities for them to lose games than washington will have this season and oregon gets the opportunity to give the huskies their second loss of the year and when by virtue then winning the pac-12 north taken from them um, I don't think it's out of the realm to think that that Oregon could have beaten Washington. It, it, you know, it was going to be a close game. I think they were pretty evenly matched. Um, I, I look at this game and 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 was that's why a lot of the excitement was there. Was it was truly up in the air for either team with so much on the line. What happens now? Well, the Pac-12 
we'll wait to see if Washington can field a team for the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, people, media members in Washington and you know, sourcing from Washington within the 24-7 Sports Network all are saying that right now with their health you know, requirements and their policies for contact tracing and quarantining, it's going to be difficult for Washington to be able to field a team to play next Friday against whoever emerges from the Pac-12 South as the Pac, you know, as a Pac-12 North representative. But possibility is still there. So that's that's the first domino that we're going to have to see figure, you know, what happens. Does the Pac-12 wait? Does the Pac-12 decide, "Hey, we need to know in 3 days if you can play or not." And if you can't play, we'll then proceed as we need to proceed. Uh, so that's the first order of business, figuring out if Washington can play in the Pac-12 North Championship game or not. Um, if they can't, then that opens the door. Does that just slide Oregon in? Um, I think it's too late in the process to see Oregon play another opponent unless uh, this week, unless there's another game that gets canceled probably Friday morning and they move that game to a Sunday uh, and, and they can play it in Eugene or what have you, but I don't expect Oregon to play this weekend. So then it goes to, okay, well, if Oregon goes, uh, if enough games get in and does Oregon go, and if, if a couple more games get canceled, that th- does away with the divisions and that would then slot in a potential game between Colorado and USC for the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon would be left out. They wouldn't be division champs. Washington would be division champs. And Oregon is kind of up in the air for where they go next. Um, This isn't Oregon's last game of the regular season, though. We should point that out. There is an opportunity for them to play in the conference championship game. And if they don't play there, they're going to play another opponent from the Pac-12 South. Isn't it crazy how much of this is? (laughs) It's like we're talking about like six contingency plans and – you know, I, I think the Pac-12. Well, John Will had a report this morning. This morning, Monday morning, um, the Pac-12 was going to announce the, the crossover Pac-12 championship game match Saturday night, day morning at the conclusion of those games. So um, we'll have some more, clarity, but at the same time, that clarity isn't necessarily going to mean a ton because it's totally possible that there's a shuffle here if Washington can like let's think about this way it doesn't just impact in terms of the shuffling right if let's say I mean and the Pac-12 South team that gets kind of host like let's say Washington is unable you know and, and the reporting they're well below 53 and we necessarily mean 53 players under 53 with COVID that mean contact tracing how does all of that come together? Um, you know, it seems unlikely they'd be able to play. Maybe they'll figure it out. I don't want to get into the medical stuff too. Let's say they can't play that game against USC. And that's a matchup. Well, Oregon gets moved up a slot. But all the other Pac-12 North teams, I believe, also get moved up a slot. And that's about loser of Arizona and Arizona State from the Pac-12 South in the for the last team basically from Pac-12 North will not play the last team in Pac-12 South so one of those teams gets penalized too um, and so like it's just it's it, it's all it is so unclear 
what the hell is going to happen <laughs> in the next week here? And that is, you know, it's good. that's just what this year's about. And I guess it should be amazing that the, the regular season culminate with just complete chaos. Where we're at here of like, it's not just Oregon losing its game with Washington. It's next week's games are coach flux. And even if they set a schedule Saturday or Sunday for what next week is supposed to look like, you could see the entire thing reshuffled almost. I mean, like, think about this way. What if Washington tries to go all week to try to play a game? And then same yeah. thing, like by late Thursday, they can't. And everybody else is now on like a couple of these. Yeah, the, the, the league needs notice. to step in here. And that's where I'm kind of disappointed that the Pac-12 didn't step in when they announced that Oregon-Washington wasn't going to be played with some kind of these are the next steps that need to, you know, to happen so that we can figure out who goes to the Pac-12 championship game. They needed to come out and say that, you know, if X amount of games get canceled, Washington will therefore be the Pac-12 North champion and will represent the uh, Pac-12 North in the Pac-12 championship game. And then they also needed to say, however, if Washington is not healthy by X date, whether that's Thursday or Wednesday or Tuesday or Monday or Friday, what have you, the league needs to kind of set in a, hey, if Washington is not healthy by this time, we have to move forward with another option that's healthy to play in this game, whether it's Oregon or whether it's a team from the South. That's where I was the most disappointed in what the league said was they didn't kind of give any kind of clearance. And this is nope. not nope. to go down through a rabbit hole, but this is what people are complaining about with the Pac-12 is the there's no leadership. There's no forward thinking. There's nothing that that's out there and, and coming forward and, and saying, Hey, we're preparing for all possibilities. We're going to monitor this. This is what we're going to do. If, if it gets here, it gets here, if it gets here. Because we're in a situation now where it's going to be extremely difficult to ensure all parties involved, Washington, Oregon, USC, and Colorado, are going to walk out of this feeling like they were treated fairly and that, that it came out to a, a positive resolution for all parties involved. Because... Washington has a claim that they've won the Pac-12 North, and that's true. You can't argue against that. Oregon also has a claim that they could have won the Pac-12 North, and that opportunity, no fault of their own, was taken from them because Washington could not play in this football game. Colorado and USC could have arguments after this weekend's games saying, who cares who comes out of the Pac-12 North? Yep. We Colorado and us, us being USC, are the far too superior teams. We should, and we didn't play against each other this season. We should have the right to play against one another for the right to, to, to win the Pac-12 championship game. And the fact that there's no, there's no direction, there's no one singular voice. This is why Larry Scott is paid the $5 million or whatever he's paid a year to sit in his gold lofty tower. And yet... It's pure, utter silence. It's just we're disappointed that this game couldn't get played. We're, we hope everyone involved can get healthy, and this will be ruled a no contest. This is essentially what the conference came out and said. Well, it makes and, and it's so powerful that like they, they what they need to do is they need to set a date of like wash be cleared and ready to play. Honestly, probably like Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I know you know that's probably unfair to that. Probably means Washington's not going to be able to do it from what the numbers we're seeing, but like. Can't have this come up to Thursday and be like, "Oh crap, Washington can't play again. They're out." 
suddenly everything gets reshuffled. Like that stinks for everybody because that means U.S. or Colorado preparing for Washington all week. That means Oregon is preparing for Colorado or well, which is whoever doesn't denounce as the Pac-12 champion. And then suddenly they have to reshuffle and you're playing your – I mean, no Pac-12 that you could have a Pac-12 conference championship game where neither team was preparing for the other team until like 24 hours before the game is played. I mean, that's a, that's a disaster scenario. Talk about the conference championship under the worst possible circumstances. And I understand it would be evenly unfair. It's not like one team would have the advantage there because both teams, you know, both whoever is in this game would, would not any prepare, you know, they for the wrong team. But like, doesn't that suck that you could play a conference championship game and not have your teams prepare it? And that means that you really, you're not giving them proper preparation required to be at their best for a matchup. Say what you want about, but like USC and Colorado identical teams and Washington and Oregon identical teams. No team is, no team, two teams in the conference identical. And to be a situation like stinks. And like, I got stoned around online. It seems like we think USC and Colorado are the two best teams south and we think Oregon and Washington are the two best teams in the Pac-12 North. Let's have those two teams play each other in this quote-unquote over weekend on the December 18th and 19th and back the Pac-12 championship game until the following week and let the rest of the teams that aren't in those, you know, the eight remaining teams, those teams that crossover game um, on the 18th and the 19th, or I guess on the 19th on the Saturday, and then the we have the conference championship game once all this is resolved. It makes the most sense, but I almost guarantee that's going to be what's going to happen because there's television tie-in. John Wilner made this point that Fox wins the Pac-12 conference championship game doesn't want that game moved from the 18th to the 25th or the 26th. So, like, Pac-12 is in a terrible position. This is all a mess. It, I mean, it's – and again, it is so Pac-12, and it's such an indictment on the leadership at the top, Larry Scott – this guy can't get out of his own way. He can't figure anything. The fact that there's not this, – this was the year for contingency plans. The fact <laughs> you don't have like 25 different contingency plans that are well-known. Like it, it, it's, it's such a mess. And if there's, if there's ever a time to, to move on from him for poor leadership, it's right now. And I, I guess you can get past because it's COVID and you can't control it. Well, the reality is this was a chance he was to show leadership and to show that he could handle something. And he, again, he's proved he's failed time and time again, and it's embarrassing, you know. And, and and I think, fortunately, you know, quote unquote, fortunately, none of these teams are in the college football playoff picture, because if they were, this would become an even bigger story nationally. Whereas right now, because the conference is falling so much, it isn't getting as much publicity or discussion. Which, honestly, kind of like the fact that Larry Scott has mismanaged this conference much is actually helping his own PR here. Because like if USC and Oregon, let's just hypothetically put this out here. Like let's say that both of them had a chance in the college football playoff, but there was a COVID between one of those two programs and this game was up in the air in terms of how it was going to be played and it was being mismanaged like this. And obviously it would be slightly different scenarios. This would be like a massive college football story because it would be screwing up everything nationally. The fact that this is just like insulated in, in the Pac-12 bubble, um, because the conference is basically a non-factor nationally, that like – I don't know. It, 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 it like diminishes how bad he looks because the conference already is kind of a non-story. I, I mean, this whole thing is it, I'm getting myself worked up talking about it because it's just so frustrating. Well, think, the conference think about in this place. Think, think about this. Okay. Thursday afternoon, 
the news broke that Oregon versus Washington was postponed, was canceled and was deemed a no contest, a game that was going to decide who went to the Pac-12 championship game. Probably, I think, the most intense rivalry of the Pac-12 of all games, Oregon-USC, uh, or Oregon-Washington. This is the game that generates the most interest, I think, from like a national broad perspective. If you put all the rivalry games out there, this one probably is number one. Um, it's probably a top 10 rivalry game in all of college football, uh, Oregon versus Washington, deciding the Pac-12 North to make the conference championship game. And what dominated social media, what dominated media coverage Thursday afternoon? Coach K's comments from basketball about them canceling their non-conference games after losing two games in non-con and the SEC coming to an agreement with ESPN to have their their games, their game of the week televised on ABC. Those two storylines dominated the fact that the Pac-12 North Division title deciding game was not going to be played. A basketball story of co- that doesn't even involve like a game or, or you know the outcome of a game being you know that just happened. A, a non a one non con game, but because it, it's Duke and Coach K and a TV rights deal story dominated the Pac-12 North champion you know deciding game being ca- canceled. That tells you all you need to know about the perception of the Pac-12 right now, and it's mind numbing that that's how it's gotten. It's it's extremely concerning. Um, we've talked a little bit about this enough on the show. We went. Down the tangent, Eric and I feel a little bit better about ranting. Um, <laughs> but what's next? Okay, so Oregon probably will not play this weekend. They probably will play a Pac-12 South representative uh, next weekend. Personally, personally, I hope Oregon does away with that. Or I, hope, I hope the Pac-12 does away with that. And then I hope we get USC, we get Colorado to play in this game. And I then hope in the championship game. And then I hope they come out and say, we're going to still have the Pac-12 North representative be honored. We're still going to have a game that decides who wins the Pac-12 North. Oregon versus Washington is going to be played. It's going to be played either next week or in two weeks when Washington's fully healthy and they've got enough guys to play again. Like, there's... Here's another... What if they could throw it? What if USC and Colorado lose weekend? And now it's there, there's USC, Washington, Colorado have one loss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's possible too in terms of like who who's the rightful winner. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, it's up in the air. It's a mess. Um, it's it's going to be nuts. It's going to be wild. Um, we will also have people wondering. Well, well, even if this, let's say that this game doesn't get played and Oregon plays Colorado, let's say in week seven for their sixth game of the year is, is their season over? No. Um, Bull games are still potentially being played. However, there are bull games and, you know, and the PAC 12 has seen a a majority of their bull games get canceled. The holiday bowl, uh, which is a PAC 12 versus an ACC opponent that has been canceled. The Las Vegas bowl, which is a PAC 12 versus an SEC team that has been canceled. The Los Angeles bowl, a Pac-12 versus Mountain West team has been canceled. The Red Box Bowl, a Big Ten versus Pac-12 team, and that has been canceled. The Sun Bowl, which is an ACC versus a Pac-12 school, that has been canceled. That leaves three bowl games 
for the Pac-12 right now to have automatic ties to. The Fiesta Bowl is one of them because the Rose Bowl is being used for a playoff game. So whoever wins the Pac-12 will go to the Fiesta Bowl. The Alamo Bowl is the second choice. They could choose to take the Pac-12 South. They could choose to take the Pac-12 champion loser, championship game loser, uh, and put them there. Or they could choose to pick a team like Washington or a team like Oregon or a team like Colorado uh, to, to go play in that game. And it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if Oregon is the second best option for bowl games. And then there's the Independence Bowl. Uh, in I think what Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, if if Oregon hasn't been selected by the by the Alamo Bowl, I have a hard time thinking that they're they're not going to get selected by the Independence Bowl as well. Um, Oregon is the biggest brand name school in the Pac-12 aside from USC, uh, and you could argue that more people watch today Oregon football than they do. Uh, USC football. So I, I think Oregon will play in a bowl game, even if they lose and they have a losing record, then it becomes, do they accept the invite, but they will get an invite. Um, but if, if for whatever reason, they don't make one of these three bowls, they're going to be playing in a bowl game that doesn't typically have PAC 12 ties. And that opens then the door. Does, does Oregon just even really want to play that game? I think we expect Oregon's going to still play. Well, I was going to say still play games, but they won't because I don't think we can. But I think Oregon's still going to get games, um, a crossover game, and then a bowl game. And if Oregon and, – and, and I think the thing that does stink here is just the – possibly Washington would have been so significant to, in, in terms of closing up this season. Um, the reality is whoever they play in the crossover game, it won't be a – Probably as good as Washington. Maybe it will. Be. Maybe they'll get USC, um, but maybe they, maybe they won't. Maybe it will be Colorado, USC. In which case, Oregon would play. I think UCLA again, where um, I guess maybe uh, depending upon that game. But like regardless, Oregon loses the momentum there. Hopefully, they're able to win that game. Hopefully, they go to a decent bowl. They can win that game against an opponent and finish the season at five two, which is. Not what anybody was expecting or wanting going into the season, but it's better than a losing record. It's better than what it could have been. Um, but like again, I think I, I just it's hard not to caught up on the fact that this game against Washington felt like an opportunity to gain some momentum to kind of prove the culture is working that you can overcome adversity. Now you lose that opportunity. We don't know. We, can, we have no idea what the next week holds, but let's, I guess, just for the, the same program and the benefit of the program, hope whoever play is a quality opponent, Oregon could win that game and then go to that bowl game and, and win that game and finish the season with some momentum because that's what they need. Going into 2021 without any would hurt. It would hurt the national perception and it would hurt Oregon from a recruiting perspective. Um, so, Finishing, I think finishing this season, whoever they're playing, will be up again. We have no idea who any of the opponents are going to be from there. They need to win. Wins, they need to win them. They need to win those games. Yeah, they, whoever. Yeah, you're right. They play two games the rest of the way. They have to win both those games. And quite frankly, it would go a long ways if one of those could be a blowout win. Um, obviously, yeah. you take a one point win with a walk off touchdown. Uh, field goal, ugly fashion, whatever you need. If it's 3-0, you take the win. Um, but from a pure 
best case scenario, you need you need to look good in these next two games um, to really kind of carry over the the momentum of the season into recruiting and into 2021 um, because you now have a year in which you didn't beat Oregon state. You lost to Cal. You by definition didn't win the PAC 12 North. And while you didn't lose, you also didn't beat your other rival. Um, so there's a lot of un there's a lot of unfinished business. I'll, I'll say for this Oregon football team going into the 2022 or excuse me, the 2021 uh, season and we still don't know that you know the other two games left to, to be played so okay let's change gears here for a second and we're gonna now shift to basketball the women eric um they go north to corvallis it's a sunday game i believe it's in the afternoon now it was scheduled i think for like an 11 a.m game but they've moved it is that right it's 4 p.m. Yeah, 4 p.m. 4 p.m. Uh, games on the Pac-12 network. Uh, typically, this is a game in which you and I have been here for for Corvallis for a couple games, and this is probably you know in terms of just overall exciting excitement level in a normal year, one of the you know top four or five games of the year to cover regardless of sport because Corvallis and Gill is fired up. It's Oregon versus Oregon State. Fan bases don't like each other. The players, while they respect each other, I don't think they like each other either. Um, but it's not a normal year. It's a different year. And I think that can be shown by the result we saw earlier this week with Utah. Yeah. After getting blasted by Oregon, goes to, to Gill and, and pulls an upset. And I guess now what's at stake in this game, you feel like? Oregon State's still talented. You can't overlook that part. Um and Oregon State's going to bring their best effort. Can't overlook that. And Oregon's still a young team who hasn't, I was going to say, hasn't played on the road. They technically have, they played at Portland. But again, this is a weird, these aren't real road environments. But like playing away from home, if it's not, I don't know. I, I, don't, I actually don't think there's really much of a difference in any besides you on the bus and you go, you know, 40, 45 minutes right. up the road. So like, um, this is it's not that different, but still, it, it's a young team that hasn't really played a team close to hunted yet. And Oregon State has some talent. I think the loss to Utah was really perplexing to see. Oregon State ranked 15th national going into that game, um, considered to be kind of a outside dark horse to maybe win the conference. Stanford, Oregon, Arizona, CLA, kind of the four teams everyone has top but Oregon State kind of that team that maybe could contend to lose to a Utah team that Oregon legitimately just beat the from start to finish Oregon was up to four at the end of the first quarter they were up 53 points midway through the fourth quarter playing basically only from and during a stretch where they pushed their lead up to 50 end up winning by 42 um like a really head-scratching outcome but I think it's actually really important for Oregon not to to think and, and, and really compare that outcome very much. Um, it's because Oregon, and you look at Oregon State, the way they've started the season, not very impressive at all. They beat San Francisco by nine points, and they beat Colorado by 17. Colorado's a team Oregon beat by 30 um, a couple of days before that. Like, it's not like Oregon State started very good, but, like, this is still a talented team. This is still a team that is going to play its best. And it's a team that has players back 
from the past couple of years that have that pride of competing with Oregon. I know Oregon has been the better program the last two years, but it needs to be remembered that Oregon not won a game at Gill in a decade up to last year on the on the day of Kobe at that that memorable game. One of the most crazy that that was actually this year. I was like, I was about that recently. Like that felt like that was like seven years ago, and that was like two ago. But regardless, this game is big. Um, Oregon, Oregon State. I expect this to be fairly competitive. I, I certainly think, and it's not saying too much because it's won all three, all four of its first games by at least twenty points. I expect it to be the closest game margin perspective. I think Oregon will win the game. Um, I think probably going to win this game by at least digits. Um, I do think it's going to be a competitive game because Oregon State has talent players and coached, and this is every game. So I, I think there's kind of this from a fan base perspective, at least of like, oh, Oregon go up there and just route. Them. I don't expect this to be quite like seen previously because Oregon is relying upon a lot of young players. What, what's, I guess, looking at this game, who would, who would you feel like would be the, 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 the player to lean on and the player you would think would have the big performance to propel Oregon to this victory. Part of me says that's going to be Aaron Bowley because yeah. she's the most experienced player on this team. Part of me also thinks it, it, it could end up being like a pow pow or um, one of the other freshmen who's kind of maybe like a wild card. Like, Hey, we kind of know with the veterans, we're going to get, you know, one, two and three. But if, if, one of the freshmen could step up and, and maybe double their normal production. That could be the difference. What, what do you see decides this game? I think going into this, I feel like, and you've even won games of quote unquote competitive, even they really haven't been, but there's been times where Oregon has only been up eight to 10 points after the first half. And they've Aaron bully. I, I, I do think she and her senior leadership. And honestly, we talked about it earlier this week. Utility um, offensively going from being, Basically, a spotted up three point shot. That was her role. El Corver, corner, catch the basketball from you know the team's elite ball dominant players and threes. To somebody who's really diversified her game and she shoots a lot of two point range shots. She went to the basket and finished through contact. I think being upon her um, and continued so, especially early, but I, I don't think you can discount somebody who's never played in this rivalry series. And again, it's basically. <laughs> everybody's going to be playing um, from the game and like look at someone like a Taylor Mike Sell who had her huge view game where she scored 28 points um, in the season opener against Seattle relatively quiet since and her three point percentages are still great but she hasn't been hitting them at a huge percentage point um, it just because or she's hitting too many games in part just because she hasn't tried very many I could see her or someone like that having a big game. The thing is with this team is, is it's been a different leading score all four games. Who knows? Like, could it be the game where um, somebody off the bench, like, well, maybe Taylor Chavez has her big game. She's been kind of quiet. Maybe Jesh finally has her big game. Fun thing about this team, there is so much um, offensive versatility. There are so many different players capable of beating teams that I think going to it, Aaron Bowley is where they'll lean. At the same time, go, I'm not going to be surprised at all if somebody kind of completely out of left field, out of the blue, jumps in and has 
a better game than expected and is really critical in that final result. So um, I expect Oregon to win this game. I think they'll probably win by figures. It's going to be, I think, a huge game to kind of learn and see what this team has really heated competitive environment and also Kelly Graves perspective and a little before we shift to the men of like, I assume rotations are going to be trimmed and you're not going to be playing 11, 12, 13 players minutes per game against Oregon state. I, I think you're going to see it probably come down a little bit and it's going to be very curious. At least I'm curious to see, I know fans are as well, what that look, who who's cut out of the rotation. Are there, play more than 25 minutes per game. I don't think there's been a single player who's played more than 25 minutes in a single game. Do we see a thing where it's time and they need to see Aaron Bowley play third minutes? And what does that do for the rotation? Those type of things I'm really curious to kind of see and how they play out. So while the Oregon football team will be playing on Saturday, the Oregon basketball team will uh, assuming <laughs> that, that's something I don't even want to say that because that's jinxing things and that makes me feel bad even suggest like Oregon Washington scheduled for Saturday at 5 p.m. It was going to be basically like a double header had the game, the football bit game been played because um, the game probably would be wrapping up like 30 minutes prior or right around the same tip off. This one in Seattle um, take the road for what will be third game away from Matthew Nider um, coming off of wins, the blowout wins over each region in Florida. To AM at home. Um, Matt, let's really quickly digest this. What did you learn from the Florida AM game and anything you see there that makes you feel one way or the other about how they're going to fare against them? Well, I I do want to caution Duck fans with the, the Florida AM game because they, the Rattlers, are literally one of the worst teams in all of college basketball. Um, Ken Palm has them ranked in the 320s, and there's only like 335 teams in the country. Uh, so yes, they dominated. They did what they, they should have done. And Fala Dante looked good. Chris Duarte looked good. Eric Williams was consistent. The ducks scored like over 60 or 70% of their bas- of their points in the paint, uh, against Florida A&M. But you also have to understand the level of competition. This was a game in which Oregon knew going in, they were like a 25 point favorite. they, we're playing this game to get live action against an opponent who didn't know their plays, didn't know, you know, the sets, didn't know that, you know, the full team, like, like you would in a, in a self scrimmage. Um, and so you do have to take that into consideration. That being right. said, we did learn some things. Um, we learned that this team, when they apply themselves and are focused and don't focus on the score and and whatnot, they can pulverize teams Uh, early in the second half after leading by four at halftime, they scored the first seven points. And then they went on like a, like a 15 to three run in the first like four or five minutes of that game, blew it open. And then they realized that, you know, they had five straight turnovers. Dana Altman said, we didn't even get a shot on the hoop. We just had turnovers and, quipped about how like going 0 for 5 uh, from the from the field is bad in soccer and it's even worse in, in basketball. Um, and that uh, like a 25 or a 26 point lead got dwindled down to a 12 or a 13 point lead. Quick timeout, a draw board, uh, you know, whatever they draw on the, you know, the coach's board, clipboard, 
got slammed by Dana Allman and the team came out and they went back to normal and ripped off a, a lead that grew to about 25 again. Um, and I think you learn from that is that their ball movement was really good. Their attention to defense was really good. I do think teams are starting to scout Eugene Amaruri a little bit and are understanding that, Hey, this is, this is their go-to guy. And if you look at Eugene Amarui's first two games of the year in which Oregon played uh, Missouri and they played Seton Hall, and if you go and you look at just like the – let's look at the Missouri game from a perspective. And Eugene Amarui was 10 of 19, 2 of 6 from 3, and he shot 9 of 11 free throws. He scored 31 points. A lot of his damage was done in – and around the paint. It was not a, a, a performance where he floated outside the perimeter against Seton Hall, much of the same 10 of 17. He didn't shoot many free throws. He just shot two, but a lot of his work again came from the paint. The last two games. Now that word has gotten out is do not let Eugene Amarui get to the paint because his footwork is really good. Force him to shoot three pointers, force him to shoot long two twos and, his, his impact will be better. He's uh, will be less, excuse me against Eastern Washington. He scored 18 points, but it, it required him to take 18 shots, just three free throws uh, to, to get those 18 points. And then against Florida A&M, they did the same thing. They did, they did not want him getting into the paint. They forced him to shoot jumpers, 14 shots for 13 points. That's not efficient basketball. Um, I think, so what you want here, what I've learned from Florida A&M is Oregon needs to have Crystal Huarte, Eric Williams, Amari Hardy, Jalen Terry. They need those guys to not uh, LJ Figueroa. They need those guys to knock down three pointers to force opponents to space the floor a little bit and not pack the paint and, and focus on shutting down Eugene Amarui. And at the same time, Eugene Amarui has to realize that, hey, if you're open on three-pointers or long twos, you don't necessarily need to shoot it unless it's the best shot you're going to get that possession. I think he's he's forced a little bit the last couple of games trying to keep pace with his hot start. And we've seen him his volume of, of shots go up and the amount of points kind of stay the same. So I, I think if I'm Oregon – I look at this Washington game as we need to hit our jumpers when they're open. We need to stretch this Washington defense and they play that two, three. And Dana said, getting a guy into the middle of the key is going to be important. And, and having that guy be good, go back to that game last year, Peyton Pritchard made some hell of a big shots in those games from deep. But I really think the corner was turned when Chandler Lawson in that second half started initiating the offense from the elbow or at the key. Um, and whether that's the floaters or the jump shots or the passes, uh, he had, a, I think, a sweet alley-oop dunk pass to um, C.J. Walker in that game. Lawson had a couple of baskets. That really kind of released UW's defense a little bit and made them spread out a little bit more, which created more open avenues. I think Oregon's going to have an opportunity to blow out Washington. Um, yeah. I, I really do. They're they're not very good. They're one and three on the year. Their best player, Nas Carter, was kicked off the team. Um, 
and Oregon's got a lot of these mid-range type guys that Dana Altman said they're going to need to be able to do well. Eric Williams, Eugene Amarui, uh, Lawson, LJ Figueroa, Chris Duarte. It's going to be, in my eyes, it's going to boil down to how do they handle the 2-3 zone and can they do, they do they feel comfortable against it? And if they feel comfortable against it, they could dominate. If they don't feel comfortable against it, it's going to be a close game. You think – Okay, so like, what do you what do you hope to learn? Game, I guess, because it's the first conference game of the season for and women have played a couple. I think conference always picks something. And as you said, Washington be bad this year. They might be in conversation for the worst teams in the Pac-12. What, what are you hoping to learn here, regardless of what the outcome is? I want to see this team have that killer instinct, and you go into some of these games, and Dana was asked kind of like against Florida A&M, their bench was a lot more vocal. Um, and when we've seen other games that Oregon's played, the opposing team's bench is extremely vocal. I mean, Eastern Washington's bench was, it was like watching the third grade team of, you know, they were all standing up clapping uh, on inbounds plays. They were all, you know, doing their defensive stance, positioning and, and yelling defense. Um, this year in college basketball, more so than football, I think, it's all about what kind of energy can you produce on your own? Can, what juice can you bring? Um, Dana almost said, bring your own juice. Uh, that's what he's been telling the team is. And so they go on the road, they're playing their rival. What's just, does this team have that killer mindset where they go in and they don't give life to UW? And they're fired up, the, the, the team on the bench, the, team, the guys that are playing are communicating to one another, and the guys that are on the bench are into the game and providing that, that energy that you normally would get from a crowd. And can they, can they come out and can they, can they play well, start to finish? Um, they've gotten a couple games under their belts. I think we're starting to see rotations. Guys are starting to figure out you know, their roles on this team. And can you go up to Seattle, play a rival, play, you know, this will be the third best team that they've played all year, um, maybe fourth. You could argue maybe Eastern being better than Washington. Um, but nonetheless, a game in which they could lose if they don't play well. And how do they handle that of, hey, if we play our best, we should dominate this game, but you still have to play your best. So I, I look at this and just look at the execution um, the cohesionness of this team. That's what I'm going to be paying attention to is how, if we think, I think Oregon is the best team in the Pac-12. I think Oregon is a team that can get to the final four and fair or not conference games are here. And this is a game in which it shouldn't come down to the last possession or the, the last two possessions of the game to decide this outcome. If we think Oregon is as good as we think they are. They, they should be able to win this one by, you know, six, seven, eight, eight points, uh, probably more than that. And so that's what I'm looking at is cohesion, connection on the court, and can you execute and, and play well from start to, to end so that you get this blowout win. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. A little double dip. We got some football we got some basketball. We're waiting on what happens, so keep track of that Saturday when, um, Saturday or Sunday when the Pac-12 hopefully decides what they're going to do. When we know what's going to happen, Eric and I will 
have a podcast up that will discuss that. Could be a Monday podcast, could be a Sunday podcast. We're not, not quite sure. And then we do know we'll also recap uh, what the men and the women accomplished this weekend in college basketball with the women going to Oregon State to play in that big rivalry game and the men going to Washington to play in that big rivalry game. So football is still on the table. Basketball is coming into more full focus. We're going to have it all here on DuckTerritory.com. Until we talk to you, we'll see you later. Talk to you later, folks. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.